It's a great privilege for me to get to share with you this morning. I'm jumping in on this series that we've all been in together in Philippians. And uh, I'm going to be looking. And if you've got your Bibles, feel free to grab them, open them up. We're in Philippians chapter 3. And I'm going to be looking at five profound, uh, simple but profound verses, verses 12 uh, through to 16. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, however you need to do that. Feel free to get them open. But uh, Katie last week did a beautiful job at the beginning part of chapter three to just set the context for really these verses that I'm going to be sharing on uh, this morning. And really that Paul was, uh, the context of this, Paul was really going after something that was happening in the church in Philippi. And he was, he was addressing some of the teaching that was going on, in particular the, some of the Jewish Christians that were pressurizing the Gentiles to behave in a certain way, to adopt certain rituals by way of trying to uh, say that that was a way of validating uh, their faith. And Paul was passionately reminding the Philippian church uh, that those rituals weren't a sign of faith, that ultimately it wasn't for them to place their confidence in, in who they were, what they'd done. They weren't to place their confidence in those external rites or rituals uh, in order to earn their status, but rather to find their value, find their worth as ones who know Jesus firsthand. That's the context of chapter three. And, uh, and kind of following on from there, and this is what it leads into these verses that we're going to look at together. It's, it's acknowledging that, that, that Paul in his own journey was Jesus and, and ultimately trying to crack that journey open for the church in, in Philippi was trying to invite them into a greater understanding for themselves firsthand what it is to be in relationship with Jesus and to follow Jesus. And that's the context that these verses are set in. And so actually, we're going to read those together. But ultimately, Paul is talking in, those, uh, in the first part of chapter 3 about uh, becoming uh, fully like Christ and fully mature in Jesus. And he goes on in chapter 3, verse 12 to say this, Not that I have already attained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what lies ahead, or press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Right, I know what you're thinking. We've, we've read these verses and, and I know that in other places, Paul often uses imagery of, of, of athletics or a race or boxing or fighting. He's obviously familiar with sports. He's obviously a sports fan. And I know you're thinking, right off the bat, you're thinking, this context of this is a little bit like talking about a race, pressing on, there's a prize, there's gold. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking it is entirely appropriate that Phil step into these verses, that actually that I uh, would be the one to tackle these verses and I would be able to draw from my extensive running career to breathe life into these verses. Uh, and, and I think that, that probably what's appropriate at this point is to let you know that, that I have done a little bit of running. In my time, I, I do want to know what it takes to run a race and to press on. I do know what it is to, to attain a prize, to achieve a goal. And so it, it is entirely appropriate. 
that I'm speaking into this context. And I feel like actually to, to add a certain gravitas to this message, to, to make it really come alive for you sitting in your homes or wherever you're watching this, I think it's probably appropriate that I actually wear for the entirety of this message my, my half marathon uh, medal. It, it, I, like I say, I think it brings a certain weight, certain gravitas to the things I want to share. Paul's brought in this context of a, of a race, running, goals, prize. Who better to speak into it? So I'm going to wear this for the rest of the message. I want to start, actually, uh, right at the very end of these verses. I want to start by trying to define uh, for us together uh, what Paul was really talking about when he was talking about uh, a goal and a, and a prize. I don't know whether you mentioned this, but I, I ran a half marathon and uh, I achieved that goal and I won this prize. And again, it's here for you to see throughout this message uh, to add weight and gravitas to my words. But I want to do, I want to start right at the very end to, to, to try and actually create the context to, to understand well, what is Paul talking about when he's talking about uh, the goal? What is he talking about when he's talking about a prize? And then in the context of that, I do want to move into reflecting back and, and processing together to uh, what actually made, make, made up for Paul the, the context in which that goal and that prize would be attained. So ultimately, in its simplest terms, I, I think that the goal that Paul is talking about is what, he, what we find actually in verse 12, the thing that ultimately Paul is saying he's not yet attained. So he's saying that I've not yet attained this thing. There is something ahead of me, a goal ahead of me that I am not quite there at yet. And so he's wanting to express that by understanding and pulling us into his story, his discipleship journey. And ultimately, that goal is this, is that Paul understood that he wanted his life uh, to, to be outworked in all of its fullness according to the fact that Jesus had saved him and that ultimately Jesus had a plan and a design and a purpose for his life. And so my goal is to be all that Jesus, uh, uh, all that I can be based according to the fact that Jesus has saved me. You know, and what Paul's describing, he's describing the discipleship journey, a discipleship journey that leads to maturity. And so I would say straight off the bat that Paul is talking about a goal that is defined by maturity. He talks about perfection. And Paul often in his writings interchanges this concept of, of perfection that we might reach out for, this, that we might press on for, and maturity. These two concepts together of our, of our growth journey in Jesus. And it's defined by, by maturity. And so he lays out right at the very beginning this sense of there are things that he is yet to attain, yet to step into, goals that lie ahead of him. And that goal really is about becoming all that Jesus purposed for him to become. And that is the discipleship maturity journey. Let's, let's actually read verse 12 from the Amplified and it, it kind of unpacks it a little bit more. Paul again says, Not that I've already obtained it, uh, this goal of being Christ-like, or have already been made perfect, but I actively press on so that I may take hold of that perfection for which Christ took hold of me and made me his own. Listen, he's expressing that, that Jesus took hold of him so that, so that Paul could be with Jesus. There's acknowledgement right at the very end of that verse that, that Christ Jesus took hold of me and he's made me his own. That was the design of God that we would be, uh, that we would be at one and connected in, in intimacy and in relationship with Jesus, that we would be with Jesus. 
And then ultimately, that uh, again, that we would be like Jesus. Paul's talking about this perfection, this maturity that he is to press on for and take hold of. And that sense of, 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 of discipleship, this discipleship journey that Paul's expressing in this one verse is actually in its simplest form a description of what our lives should be look like. That we should be with Jesus and we should be like Jesus. You know, one of the, the things that we, we discover is that when Jesus um, used this word disciple, when he called his first disciples, he actually borrowed this word disciple uh, from, from the culture of the day. And actually a better understanding, a better description of this, this word disciple that he labeled those that followed him, those that were with him and becoming like him. And the way he would describe the disciples was actually much more like an apprentice. And you could be an apprentice uh, in any particular sphere. You could be an apprentice fisherman. You could be a, an apprentice uh, goldsmith. You could any particular. You could uh, you could be an apprentice in trade. There are so many things that, in terms of the industries of the day, that actually the way you would develop in your education is you would you would spend time in a classroom-based situation, and then you would graduate from there. And the kind of more specialty of developing your gifting, your trade, who you were becoming, what you would do, is you would step into an apprentice. And what defined an apprenticeship for somebody who, who was developing and growing in what it is that they were supposed to be doing with the rest of their life is this. The two primary goals of an apprentice is that they would be with their master and then they would become like their master. And in its simplest form, when Jesus says and he calls the disciples, uh, those that would follow him, he's saying, come and be with me and come and be like me. And it's the same call to each one of us today as disciples, as followers of Jesus, as an apprentice of Jesus. As Paul is kind of is framing out what his life looks like and what he's inviting us in to take hold of is, is this apprentice journey. And I think sometimes we complicate this normal Christian life. We get really confused around, around what am I supposed to be doing? Where am I supposed to be spending my time, my energy? What's the focus? Listen, guys, if we were to boil it all down to this Paul is inviting, is, is sharing his own experience and inviting us into realize, hey, we are all disciples. And ultimately, the goal is maturity. And then more than that, the prize is Jesus himself. And so our, the goal is maturity. It is this discipleship apprentice journey to be with Jesus and to be like Jesus. And that ultimately, the prize in no uncertain terms is Jesus himself. That's what Paul was expressing. We actually find it a few verses back in, in Philippians 3, 8 and 9. This is what it says. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Listen again, Paul's trying to frame out for us this understanding of what our lives could look like. That ultimately, that, that actually we could count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. That we get to be with Jesus and be like him. And Jesus is the prize. Jesus is, is the prize for Paul. And so as we kind of journey into these particular verses in, in chapter 3, let's, let's frame it out by understanding the, the invitation right off the bat is a discipleship invitation. It's an apprentice invitation. It's saying to you and I, Paul is saying, listen, this is what my look, life looks like. I have a goal and I have a prize. And that goal is discipleship and maturity. And the prize is Jesus himself, that I get to be with him and I get to be like him. That's what we're being invited into. 
And so moving on from there, if the goal is maturity and the prize is oneness and relationship with Jesus, how do we do that? What is, what is Paul offering us in, in terms of encouragement? What is he, what is he instructing us with uh, uh, to be able to challenge us and change us in some of the ways that we think about our discipleship journey? So let's dive back into those verses. I think that, that Paul, I think Paul frames out a number of things in these verses, but I want to highlight three particular things. Firstly, I think that Paul is helping us see that there is a, there's a mode of living whereby we acknowledge a healthy dissatisfaction. And we'll talk about that in a minute. I think secondly, Paul is highlighting in this journey of discipleship that where the, the, the goal is maturity and, and the prize is Jesus, that ultimately that requires us to bring a focus and finally, I think Paul is helping us in the midst of dissatisfaction, in the midst of having a focus. I think that Paul is helping us realize there's a direction that our lives need to be pointed. So let's look at these, these three things. Dissatisfaction. Well, what I mean by, by carrying a healthy dissatisfaction, what, what's Paul helping us see in these verses? Well, let's go dive back again to, to verse 12. We'll look at it from the Amplified. Not that I've already attained it. Again, it's starting from that place of recognizing there is a deficit, there is a journey to go on, there is something yet to be attained by Paul, this goal of being Christ-like, or have already been made perfect, but I actively press on. So listen, here's the thing with Paul, and we know the story of Paul, we know the life of Paul, we, we know and we see his radical transformation at the, on the road to Damascus. We understand the intervention of God in his life, the way that actually he left behind the persecution of Christians and became a, a, a radical follower of Jesus, a church planter. You just have to look at his letters and know his life to realize he was a guy that was, that, that, uh, was once very far from Jesus, had a dramatic encounter, and then life was really defined by his exploration of following Jesus from following the way of Jesus and ultimately Paul was able to write in this letter you know Paul the the great church planter the one that had seen signs and wonders and miracles and people come back to to life being raised from the dead this Paul gets to say to you and I listen I have not attained I've not fully arrived there's still a journey for me to go on to there is still things that I'm pressing on for that's a provocation for me because as I hold my life up to the life of Paul, I, I, I've got some way to go. But actually, if it was good enough for Paul to posture his life in that space of, of, of recognizing I've not already attained, I'm actually dissatisfied with where I am right now because there's a journey to go on, then that can provoke me to have my life postured in a, in, in a similar mode. And I want to say this, that, that I think that it's problematic for us as followers Jesus if we stop short, what do I mean by that? You guys will have seen, maybe you will have watched um, races on the, on the TV, maybe in, in athletics or maybe bike races or, or motorcycle races. You will have seen those moments when the person who's in the lead is so far ahead of the rest of the pack that actually when they come back in that home straight, they kind of slow down, they take on the crowd, they're, they're, they're bringing more applause, they're kind of lapping it all up, taking it all in. 
And then that horrifying moment when all of a sudden they realize that there's somebody else coming up behind them faster than them. They're, and then all of a sudden when, when people are moving past them, the bike flies past them or someone runs past them or, or, or a car drives past them, they realize, oh my goodness, I have full on stopped short of the goal. I've full on stopped short of, of that winning line and because I was taking it all in and I fundamentally, I stopped short. We all know those moments because they're funny videos to watch as somebody who, who absolutely just stops short of the, of the goal and other people overtake them. We've all seen them. But I wonder whether in our, in our race of, of, and our pursuit of following Jesus, whether, whether actually we get, we get vaguely settled by being near the goal, by, by maybe having certain seasons in our life when we feel like we're out front or we feel like we're achieving, but we kind of just left on the fumes of those things and we kind of, we're vaguely just satisfied with, by being kind of near the goal or near the finish line. Listen, I think it's problematic if we are people who stop short. I think we're also problematic if we, if we think that we are people that have already arrived. This is what we hear in the, in the tone of what Paul's writing. He's saying, like, I've not already arrived. I've not already attained. And so I think it's problematic to us as followers of Jesus is if we take stock and we think, do you know what? Actually, I've arrived. I have got this thing down. You know, I, I think back to the, um, the half marathon that I ran. I don't know if I mentioned it to you before, but I, I ran a half marathon. That's a, that's a long distance. I have run a long distance and I have both achieved the goal and I have the prize that's around my neck. But listen, when you're on a half marathon, there are several, or any long distance run, there are several kind of markers that you're looking for as you kind of pace yourself and, and several kind of step change goals that are, are along the way. You know, several markers, you know, the first one would be when you kind of get halfway. And on the Manchester half marathon that I run, don't know if I mentioned to you, I ran a half marathon. But on the Manchester half marathon, one of the first signals you get in terms of where you're at in the race is there's a big sign, a big marker when you hit halfway. When you hit half, half the distance, there's a big sign and you know, all right, I, I know I'm halfway. Now listen, if, if I, you know, markers are really helpful and they feel good and they feel amazing, but they are not the goal. How, what, imagine. I'm running this half marathon. I get to halfway. I see that half marker and I feel really exhilarated. I feel like I've really achieved something. And I kind of just go, well, that's a great place to stop. Guess what I would not have done? I would have not achieved my goal. I would have not achieved the prize. I would have stopped halfway. And listen, these, these markers along the way, I think another one, you know, as you, as you get further on in the race, there are several kind of water stations. And there are, there are these stations where they hand out... Um, um, uh, kind of glucose uh, little things that you drink to kind of spike up your energy as you're running. Listen, they're amazing. They're great. Like I, there was a part of the race that where, where I desperately needed a drink. And I was like, all right, well, where's the next stop? Where's the next place where I can grab some water? But again, imagine like that marker, that moment along the race is, is, is great. But it's problematic to me if I think that suddenly this marker, this moment, is a, is a place where I've arrived, where I've finished. You know, it's problematic if we take certain highlights in our life and just camp around them and think that that is the place that we stop. And this is not where Paul finds himself. Think of all the significant markers of Paul's life, the, plant, the, church, he's plant, the church that he 
transplanted, the, the, the miracles that he saw. Just think about the life of Paul. If he was to take stock at any given moment along that journey and go, yeah, it kind of feels like I've arrived. It kind of feels like I've done everything I need to do. I kind of feel like I could just kind of hover around this moment, kind of, uh, kind of bask in the beauty of this moment and this success. You know, it would not be where Paul finds himself when he's writing to the Philippian church where he's saying, I've not yet attained. There's still a pressing on. There's still a further trajectory for my life to be on. And so I think that provokes us that ultimately it's problematic to any one of us if we think we've arrived. I think it's also problematic in this whole, uh, in this whole recognition of, 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 uh, of being dissatisfied is that ultimately if we start comparing ourselves to others, what do I mean by this? Uh, you know, all, a few verses on, and, and we'll get to this in the series, it, Paul talks about follow me as I follow Christ. Listen, there's an acknowledgement that uh, maybe some of us have the potential to settle where we are because at least we're ahead of other, at least we're maybe ahead of other people on this journey. Maybe there's sen- self, a sense of kind of self-satisfaction or a sense of achievement from, you know, just not actually being somebody else. When comparison kicks in, if, we are, if we're not focused on the goal, if we don't have that healthy sense of dissatisfaction, we can become satisfied by simply just being ahead of others. And it's just a, a, a detrimental, problematic place to be in. You know, the fact that, uh, uh, is that a slightly better than somebody else's normal Christian life is, not, is a poor substitute for the Jesus normal Christian life. Let me say that again. A slightly better than somebody else normal Christian life is a poor substitute for a Jesus normal Christian life. And that's the one that we have to embrace. That's the one that Paul was saying is his goal, that he would mature to the perfection of Christ, that Jesus is both the goal, maturity in Jesus and the prize. And I think Paul's expressing here in these verses just a beautiful sense of dissatisfaction And again, think about his life. But ultimately, he didn't stop short. He didn't think that he'd arrived. And ultimately, he knew that his goal was to compare himself to Christ, not those that are around him. Because he knew that actually that that there was a realization for him that there was something to press on for. And so this healthy dissatisfaction fueled his journey with Jesus. And he realized there was no point slowing down. There was no point stopping because he thought he'd arrived. And there was no point comparing himself to anybody else other than Christ himself. And that became his focus. And I think that's what leads us on to this, the second encouragement that, that Paul has for us in these verses. And that is that Paul gives us both a healthy dissatisfaction and an indication that actually we need a strong, sharp focus. Verse 13 says this, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. One thing I do. You know, this, this, um, these two words, one thing, is a, is a really significant, important biblical phrase. Let me run through some of them that we find elsewhere in Scripture. You, you remember the story of the, the rich young ruler who, in talking to Jesus and acknowledging that he's tried to keep all of the commandments, Jesus responds to him and says this, there's one thing that you lack, one thing that's missing. Go and sell all your possessions, give them to the poor and follow me. 
You remember the story of Mary and Martha. You know, Martha is busy frantically in the kitchen cooking up some food for Jesus. And she gets discouraged and annoyed by the fact that Mary is sat there with Jesus seemingly just doing nothing. And Jesus, in the moment of Martha's complaint, Jesus speaks to her and says, Martha, you're distracted by many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that better thing. One thing. And that was to be with Jesus. Maybe that you remind, reminded the story of the, the blind man who's healed by Jesus. And the religious leaders of the day come to this blind man and say, uh, hey, the one who's healed you, he's a sinner. And the blind man replies and he says, you know, I, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. The one thing I know is that once I was blind and now I see. And it's this expression of David that we find in Psalm 27 where he says, one thing I desire of the Lord and that I will seek. The point is, is, is here that there is focus. Paul is, is highlighting again to us, he's cracking open his own discipleship journey, his own pursuit of a goal, his own pursuit of a prize. And he's saying it boils down to one thing, focus. And the point is focus. You know, understanding there is a one thing, understanding that it's entirely impossible and appropriate for us to narrow the scope of what it is that we're focused on. Have you ever thought about that with, um, with athletes? We have a couple of athletes in, in, our, in our church community. Um, you know, think about Naomi, who's the, the, um, the women's British, British women's triple jump champion. You know, the, the, the amount of focus and, and training and dedication that goes into that one skill of being a triple jumper. Uh, it, it astounds me how far she can jump. But, but if you think about that with, with athletes, that there is this kind of dedication, there is this sharp focus towards one thing. I was um, thinking about some time that we spent with, with Janine. Janine Becky is a, a good friend of our family, part of our church community, and she's, uh, uh, she is over here and she's playing for Man City Women's in the Premier League. Um, is a focused athlete. She's a Canadian international, has been to the Olympics, won medals, like a very dedicated, fo focused athlete. And I remember a couple of Christmases ago, um, she'd been out with um, the, the women's team for their kind of Christmas social, and they'd gone axe throwing. And this is Janine, who I've, I've watched her play um, football a lot. I think she's talented. She's uh, amazing. She's at the top of her game. She spent her whole life honing and shaping and focusing in on her skills. She knows her position. She knows uh, her strengths. Uh, and she applies that to the team. She's amazing. Um, she came uh, over to our house to hang out. And she'd just been uh, for, the, for her Christmas due with, with the team. And they'd gone axe throwing. And... Uh, she pulled out her phone and started to show me some of the videos of, of the team kind of doing their axe throwing. And um, I'll just say this, that, that Janine is the, is the very reason, she is the epitome of why when you go and do those kind of uh, sporting activities like axe throwing or you do anything where there's an element of risk, Janine is the reason that they have disclaimers that you have to sign. She's the reason. When companies sit and say, you know, we're going to start a business, axe throwing, we're going to invite the public, come in, try something new, it's going to be fun, social, friends can do it. They think, oh, okay, well, actually, there's an element of liability here, there's an element of risk, people could get hurt, it probably won't happen, but we'll need to get a disclaimer written down that someone will need to sign. Janine is the person that they have in mind. I watched her throw some axes. She was, A, mostly terrible at it, and then there was a couple of videos that she showed where she literally nearly took the head off 
teammates that actually, whether it was actually in her throwing the axe the wrong way or with the axe rebounding off the wall and nearly striking one of her, her friends, one of her teammates, it was terrifying. And here's the thing, here's the thing. So Janine is really good at playing football, but Janine is terrible at throwing axes. And it's really good that she's discovered that one thing that she's going to go do because because, uh, you know, one of the things that Ginny needs to realize is that she needs to not give up the day job and she does not have a future in axe throwing. But there is this thing where actually that it, it is entirely appropriate for, for us to sharpen our focus to the one thing. Think about Usain Bolt. A couple of years ago, Usain Bolt, the fastest man on the planet, who spent his whole career figuring out how to run the fastest over, over 100 meters. That was his thing. That was his one thing. When he finished playing, he, he, uh, when he finished running uh, his running career, he, he moved into football, had a real passion for football, was a fan of Man United, tried to, to sign to Man United, tried to get trials there and everything. Here, listen, here's the thing. Usain Bolt can explode with pace for 10 seconds over 100 meters. Now, some of that skill could be transitioned and applied to playing football, but then if you go watch YouTube and you go watch Usain Bolt trying to play football, you realize it's a very thin part of the wedge. It's a very small part of the whole package of what it is to be a footballer. And ultimately, he never succeeded. He never became a footballer. But I say all that to say, listen, I think it's entirely appropriate for us to discover the one thing. And for us in this, this context, we're talking about the one thing being our discipleship journey. The one thing being that our lives is wrapped up in the focus of, I am being with Jesus and I am being like Jesus. If we can boil our lives down to, to that foundation and then build out from there, that the one thing, as Paul's expressing here, is that actually we would be with and be like Jesus. That's a place that we can find real focus. And real focus is about giving, is about giving our yes to things. You know, it's about finding that one thing and giving our yes to it. And ultimately, in the same space, often giving our no to other things. You know, when a groom stands up in front of his bride and, and he says yes to her, you know, ultimately at that same moment, he's also saying no to 3.9 billion other ladies across the whole of the planet. Now, the most important thing in that moment is the one lady that's in front of him that he's saying yes to. You know, he does not need to say, well, I'll say yes to you, but I need to also get around the 3.9 million others just to express my apologies just to meet them in their disappointment. That's not what the, the yes is about in that moment. The focus is the one that's in front of you. But often we, when we say no to certain things, it is also a signal to what we're giving our yes to, what we're giving our focus to. And I think within our discipleship journey, we can apply that all the time to figuring out if I've got one thing, if I'm orientated around my discipleship journey, being with Jesus and being like Jesus, then I can say no to a whole bunch of things in order to say yes to the one thing. I think about Nehemiah in this context. You know, Nehemiah was a prophet in the Old Testament. And when he, he came to Jerusalem, he had a one thing. And that one thing was to build the wall. And Nehemiah had lots of distractions. Lots of people wanted to meet with him. Lots of people wanted his advice. Lots of people wanted to distract him and take him away from this one thing. And this is what Nehemiah says in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 3. He says this, And I sent messages to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? 
Listen, this was Nehemiah with a focus, with a, with a one thing. And, and, and he was giving his nose to a bunch of things that ultimately were going to distract him and pull him away from that one thing. Focus is all about one thing. You know, focus comes when we realize that in our no to other things, we actually create a greater capacity to the things that we actually want to say yes to. And that's what Paul, Paul is saying here. It's his way of acknowledging that his discipleship to Jesus is his one thing. His being with Jesus and him being like Jesus, that was his one thing. That was his focus. And it gave him the clarity in his own life, to know what he was going to give his yes to and to know what he was going to give his no to. But I think we can hold that up, that, that focus up to our own lives and ask the question, can we say, do we have that kind of sharp focus? Is the pursuit of Jesus, the, the, the reality that there, is a, that there is a goal of maturity and there is a prize of Jesus, has that become our one thing. Another biblical concept just to grapple with in this space is this idea of consecration. But ultimately, that just means, in simple language, it means to be set apart, to be devoted for one thing. Are our lives fully consecrated to the purpose of God? Is He my one thing? Or is he part of many things that will cause the energy and focus of my life to be distracted and my attention to be placed elsewhere? And this is what Paul's bringing us back down to. A healthy dissatisfaction and a very sharp focus. Finally, I think Paul in these verses is helping us realize that in the midst of this healthy dissatisfaction, in the midst of this sharp focus, that ultimately that actually creates a trajectory. It creates a direction. Verse 13 again, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I think it's really fascinating here that uh, we've already talked about the one thing, but, but Paul says one thing I do, and then he actually goes on to describe two things. <laughs> He goes on to say, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. So that's actually two things. And I think Paul's really intentional in this. I think he combines those things as one thing because in essence, I, I think he believes that they are one thing. That the process of, of actually, of, of straining forward to what lies ahead is as much to do of letting go of what lies behind. A few years ago, I, I, um, I went rock climbing in, um, in Switzerland. I was doing a, a weekend away for a church uh, in Switzerland, and we actually dropped into France on, a, on, a, on, a, on one of the afternoons that we had to do some rock climbing. I've never done any rock climbing. I was terrified. Uh, and it was a particular type of rock climbing called Via Ferrata, Via Ferrata, which is actually a, it's an Italian uh, word, which means iron path. And the nature of this particular rock climbing is, is that uh, once you get up onto the rock face, you're actually journeying. Uh, you can kind of see where you're going because it's guided by um, a, a, a metal um, rope, a metal rope that kind of tracks where you're heading. And then how you get along that rope is defined by these metal, these iron pegs that are hammered and secured into the rock face. 
And so kind of rather than simply just this rock climbing where you start at the bottom and go to the top, actually this type of rock climbing is one where once you're up on the cliff face, you're then journeying along uh, a, a, along an iron path, along these, uh, a, along these iron um, pegs that are secured into the rock. And um, I think it's fascinating because one of the things that, that maybe you can appreciate in that is that maybe if you've done some form of climbing, I've not, but... But, but in this moment, one, the thing that I realized is, is that in moving across this rock face, there were these certain moments where my, my feet were, were, were locked into one iron peg. And I had my hand on, on the previous iron peg that I'd held onto. The, the one that I'd been over became the one that was, that was behind me. And there was another iron peg that was ahead of me. And my feet are planted on one peg that I'm standing on. My, my hand is on the one that was the peg that, was, that my hands were previously on. And then I've got this, this choice and this moment and this opportunity to move forward, to kind of keep climbing. And it would take me to actually let go of one peg in order to embrace the next peg. And it's that moment of kind of trepidation where you're like, actually, I can't actually, I can't actually hold both because they're too far apart. I can't hold both at the same time. And there's this moment of, of letting go and embracing, reaching out and embracing and taking hold of the next peg in order to move forward. Like I say, I'm not a rock climber. That was my experience. But I think our discipleship journey, I think this is what Paul's trying to help us understand here, that actually there is a process of, of letting go in order to take hold of. Letting go of the past in order to take hold of what lies ahead in our future. And I think that Paul's trying to help us understand that our discipleship direction comes from the intentionality of taking hold of who we are becoming, what lies ahead of us, and not getting fixated on and holding on to who we once were. You know, direction comes from the focus of knowing where you're going, not necessarily the awareness of, of where you're not going. Imagine if I got into a car with Sarah and then um, and, um, you know, I said, okay, Sarah, where are we going? And, and she said, well, we're not going to Derby. Okay, well, that's a start. We're not going to Derby. Okay, but, but, but where are we going? Well, we're not going to Preston. Well, okay, great. Again, I know we're not going to Derby. I know we're not going to Preston, but where are we going? Well, we're definitely not going to Scunthorpe. Right, okay, so we're not going to Derby, we're not going to Preston, we're not going to Scunthorpe. Where are we going? Listen, you can imagine that going on for a while. If, if simply the, the, the conversation and the direction was defined by where we're not going, we're not going to go anywhere. You know, Paul, I think, is even really aware in these verses of, of his own humanity and, and perhaps the humanity of the people that were going to be reading this letter and understand that ultimately it's entirely possible for us to get hung up and distracted by our failures, distracted by our past, distracted by what lies behind us, that actually we lose the ability and the focus to be able to, to, be able to see what lies ahead, what it is that we're pressing on towards. You know, the direction and trajectory of our lives, which ultimately Paul is defining as the goal of maturity and the prize of knowing and being known by Jesus. And I think it's worth just paying attention to that in our own lives. And how much do we get strung up and distracted and, and time and energy focused in on the disappointment of what has been that actually it hamstrings us from really taking hold of what lies ahead? You know, he's all too, Paul's all too aware of the temptation for us to get stuck in the context of who we were rather than the goal of who we're becoming. Listen, I think about the fact that, you know, in a car when you're driving, 
you know, there's a very good reason that that front windscreen is really big and the rear view mirror is very small. Because it's far more important for you to see and know where you're going than where you've been. So I think that Paul is, is, is pulling us into his own story. He's pulling us into his own journey of what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus, to know that there is a goal and there is a prize. And I think he's cracking open his own life to say, listen, I've got healthy dissatisfaction. I've got a sharp focus and I've got direction. You know, so, so, what not, so what now and what next? Well, I think Paul is definitely inviting us to, to see his own life, see how, what makes up his own discipleship journey. And he's boiled it down into some pretty simple, simple ideas and pretty simple concepts. And I think he's inviting us to, to join him in the outworking of what it is to follow Jesus you know, towards that goal of maturity and towards that prize of being with Jesus. And he's helping us see that, that for him, it's outworked with a healthy dose of dissatisfaction, not quite where I need to be. I know that there's a forward journey for me to have. He's helping us see that that comes about through a sharp focus. And I think he's helping us understand that the direction for that is as much about taking hold of what lies ahead than it is being caught up in what lies behind, getting stuck in who he was in the past. And Paul had a past, but he wasn't prepared to let the fact that actually as one who was known for persecuting Christians to then become the one who actually followed Jesus and, and was the propagator of the gospel and the planter of churches. He wasn't prepared to let his history define his destiny. And herein lies the invitation for us in these verses. You know, does it provoke us? You know, so what now what? Does it provoke us? Does it challenge us to make some changes, some adjustments in our lives, to, to perhaps press on in a new way, to get back up where we've maybe stopped, maybe to sharpen our focus and maybe deal with some of those distractions that are holding us back? Maybe it's uh, the provocation to just stop settling for where you are now less than what Jesus has for you, to give your yes every day and in every way to the person of Jesus. And I think for me, personally, these five simple verses do all of those things. They provoke me and they challenge me. So what now what? Well, I think we get to choose. I get to choose. Do I, do I let these five verses, do I, do I let the invitation that Paul has given me to open up his discipleship life, to be a, a guide, do I let those verses speak to my life today? Or do I just simply consign these verses to an interesting thing I once heard when Phil was banging on about the fact that he ran a half marathon? I think the choice is ours. And this is the choice we always have with the Word of God. Do we, do we let it be something interesting that kind of tickles our intellect? Or is it information that, that hits our mind? Or do we let it form something in us? And that's going to be my prayer for us today. That actually we would let the simplicity of these five verses speak to us, to challenge us, to change us, to provoke us. That Paul, in his in his state of following Jesus, still knew that there was, there was so much more for him to press on for, so much more for him to take hold of. Can we say that for our own lives today? So I want to pray for us this morning. Father, I, I thank you that in these verses there's an invitation for more. And we want to take stock. We want to take a, a moment just to pause and reflect and to say, Jesus, where I find myself now, have I, have I stopped short? Have I become distracted? 
Have I lost focused? Am I all too convinced of my past over and above the future that you're inviting me into? And Jesus is, if the answer to any of those questions is yes, we just say, Holy Spirit, would you come and flood our lives? Would you illuminate those places and spaces in our life where Jesus, you want to draw us out and beyond and into the new thing? Father, we thank you for your word that it, it truly is a light into our path, a lamp into our feet, that it illuminates and makes clear and makes alive what it is you're calling us into. And we want to respond with our lives, with our decisions, with the way that we think about ourselves, with the way we think about others, by the way that we think about you. And Jesus, in this moment, we, 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 we come back again to the simplicity of what it is for our lives to be consecrated, given wholeheartedly and completely over to you, that there is a simplicity in this discipleship journey which invites us to be with you, Jesus, and to be like you, Jesus. And so we give the yes of our lives to those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, listen, uh, we're going to close out the stream now, but uh, there is an opportunity for you to get prayer. Maybe uh, if you're watching on the, uh, on the stream live with us, there's going to be uh, prayer teams available. Uh, just uh, follow the link that's either on the screen now or, or actually in the comments section. You'll be able to dive in there and someone would love to stand with you and pray with you, whether it's stuff that's resonated with you from some of the things we've looked at today or whether just generally you'd love somebody just to stand with you and pray with you. We want to be here for you in that moment. God bless you. Uh, we're missing you and we cannot wait for a time to be back together, hopefully very, very soon. God bless you guys.